I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of ITM, and today we're going to talk about 10 strategies to developing leaders. Point number one, this is a big one for me, and I'm going to explain it to you. The difference between responders and initiators. Let me explain. Everybody in the world is a responder. Everybody in the world is a responder, meaning there's a deadline, you respond, you get it done. There's a task, you respond, you get it done. If you don't do this, you're going to get fired, you respond, you get it done. Taxes go up, if you do this, you adjust. They change the laws for something, we respond, right? Everybody's a responder. I'm a responder, you're a responder. The greatest leaders, presidents, billionaires are all responders, but only a few are initiators. I like to lock onto talent when I see somebody initiate. For example, going in there and talking to a a couple of our teammates, and I'll say, here's what I like to see us do. I'm thinking about doing X, Y, Z. And one of our guys takes the initiative because I said something, and they come back with 50 ideas. That is an initiative they took that wasn't part of me necessarily wanting them to take the extra mile or go above and beyond. A lot of times people will do this. This is what my tasks are. I'll go up to this point. Initiators will say, this is what it is. Let me go here, if not here, if not here. Anybody I find that's an initiator, I like people like that on the team. That's number one. Look for initiators who also respond. Responders don't necessarily initiate, but initiators absolutely respond as well. Big difference. Number two, energy. When it comes to energy, there's two different things of energy to me. One is your aura. The other one is your stamina. Let's talk about aura first. I can tell by your aura, I'll watch a person, I'll say, wow, look at the people at the office that they go to lunch with. Look at the people at the office they hang out with. Look at the people at the office they associate themselves with the most. Look at the people that they typically hang out with the most. Why is it that this person is hanging out with people above them? Why is it that this person typically befriends people way ahead of them? Or why is it that this person befriends people only below them that's not on their team? Why is that? Maybe they have an identity issue. The other person's always trying to catch up and go up until they always want to associate with people above them. Like, wait a minute, the aura attracts up. The aura goes up, this aura goes down. Why is that? Another thing I look at with aura is who they typically attract. So we'll have a party, we'll have a gathering, we'll have any kind of a thing. I can pretty much tell, every time this guy's there, the biggest performers are always around them. Every time, their aura, what it projects, what it attracts. Energy is a completely different story. I told a story earlier to somebody about Mario. When I knew Mario was somebody I wanted to lock onto when he was 18, 19 years old. So I'm putting an event together. We have nothing prepared. I only have three or four employees at that time. This is 2006. We're talking about a long time ago. 2006 is what, 12, 13 years ago. And for the event, we're trying to make a video. We're a day away for the video. Literally a day away from going to Palm Springs for putting this event together for like 300 people. And uh, we don't have the video prepared. Mario doesn't know how to edit. He learned how to edit. And that night, we stayed at the office till 4.30 in the morning, never once complained. He got the job done, came up, we put up the video, played the video for us in 2006. This was an epic video we created. The audience went crazy, it was a great time. And I was impressed with him because I learned about his stamina and endurance. He can last. I like people who can last and have stamina. People who can last and have stamina and they have the long endurance, when bad things happen or a project, we gotta go a little bit longer, they won't say, oh, you know what, let's not, I don't know if I can, it's getting late, all this other stuff. They'll be able to hang in there and go long term. Number three, language. Language tells me a lot. 
I can listen to a person's language and you'll typically be able to pick up a lot. The other day I was doing two interviews. One guy flew in from Connecticut, the other guy flew in from uh, Cincinnati, right? And I'm sitting down looking at these guys. This is a multi six-figure year position that I'm uh, looking at. Pretty high identity type of a, a position. And as I'm talking to one of them, he made a comment two or three times that was way too many insecurities in these comments. I said, man, this is like, you are, this is just way too much because the position I was gonna give him, you know, if I'm putting an event together with 7,500 people, he was gonna be a face. So this is gonna be influence over 7,500 people at a live event. And listen to him, like, you know, I don't know about that language. That language stemmed too much insecurities, too much fears. And I needed somebody for this position to be confident because he or she has to impose confidence to other people. So the language you speak will say a lot about insecurities, fear, self-confidence, self-esteem. You can tell it. The language would also tell me if this person is a leader or they're a victim. Well, you probably would never do this with me, would you? I mean, why would you ever do it with me? Victim. I think I can do it. I think this is a great position for me. Let me prove you wrong. Watch what I'm going to do. You know, I'm going to be one of the best. You know, one time I went and met with a talent agent in Hollywood, and I was talking to her about acting. And she said, listen, here's what Hollywood likes. They want you to go in knowing this is my position. I'm going to do this role better than anybody else. If you like me, you don't like me, that's on you. But I believe I can play this part. They want you to go in, not cocky, but they want you to go in confident knowing this is me, this is who I think can do this job here. They like that. Language says a lot about the individual. You've got to pay attention to it. Number four, parents who believe in them. I don't need both. I actually like when one parent didn't. The other day I was in uh, San Antonio, and I'm speaking. This guy comes up to me. He walks across the stage, and he comes right past me. I saw him and his girl, and I said, wow, this guy's got swagger. I said, hey, come here. How old are you? He says, I'm 23, 24. How old's your girl? 20. How serious are you guys? Pretty serious. Serious, serious, or like serious, serious? No, we've been together for two years. Our families know each other, et cetera. So maybe one day we're going to be something. I said, okay, great. I said, tell me about your parents. When I said parents, his body was like shocked. He said, I, I, I kind of knew you were going to ask that question, but that's kind of, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of tough for me to say. I said, no, I, I really want to know. Tell me about your parents. And then he said, my mom is my hero. She believes in me. She thinks I can do everything. I love my mom. I would take a bullet for my mom. My dad left, and he's not around. And I don't have the best relationship with my dad. That's perfect for me. Because one person you have to prove wrong, that I can do something big, and one person believes. I want that combination. Sometimes when it's both, the kid doesn't have anybody to prove wrong. So you got to find an ex, or a friend, or a teacher, or a coach, or somebody that said, I don't believe you're worth anything where you can do anything big with your life, right? I want both. I want somebody that didn't believe and one that did believe. But if it's both that didn't believe, we have a problem. If a person has both mom and dad that are very discouraging, they think small about the person, you can't do anything, all that other stuff, this person has to have so much willpower to be able to fight that part. You see a lot of people say, well, my mom and dad love me and they believed in me. Great, that's perfection. But you see people that don't have both, you need somebody. So I'll look in that conversation. You'll hear me say a lot. Tell me about your parents, your relation with mom and dad. Who are you closer to? That'll tell me a lot. So confidence, very critical. You give me somebody that's very confident, we can take over the world together. Number five, attitude. Attitude to me is believing things are possible. For instance, guys, uh, 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 I want us to go out there and try to do something like this. Wow, oh, Pat, I don't know if that's possible. Listen, I'm just telling you this is what I want to do. What do you want? I want to go swim with great white sharks. 
just the timing and we have to travel in the great white sharks. No, I want somebody to say, let me search it. Best places to swim with great white sharks. Boom. Let's call them up. Hey, I want to be able to go fly and go 100 miles an hour in air with those, you know, jet type of things. I just don't know. No, I want to figure out a way to make it work. Attitude for me is, believe we can do this. Let me go figure out a way how we can do this. And they'll figure out a way, right? They find a way. They, they take initiative. Again, go, goes back to this. But a big part of it is attitude. Attitude is so attractive to me because I know if I lock onto somebody with positive attitude, everybody else says, why is this guy working with this person? I can say, look at the attitude. Then they have to also make the adjustment and respond to this person's attitude because they initiate. The initiator improves everybody else around them. So that's point number five. Number six, curiosity. Curiosity is very important to me. I want you to be curious. So I know your level of curiosity by the questions you ask me. So I'll sit there with somebody. We do a conference call on a weekly basis, mentoring call with about 12 people in the company. And you have to qualify to be a part of this. And we'll go an hour and a half, and I'm processing issues with them, with the top 12 people that are coming up, or the top earners, whatever it is. And it was this conference call that wasn't number one tier conference call, it was number three. And these people that are tier two, tier three leaders that were on the call, and the entire time for an hour and a half, the only people that asked questions were pretty much the top five earners on the call. And then three of the lower guys were asking questions, there was 35 people on the call. I stopped the call. I said, wait a minute, guys. I have to chime in here. They said, what? I said, what the hell are you guys doing on this conference call? What's your purpose of being on this conference call? You're waiting for other people to ask questions, and then hopefully they ask the question that's on your mind to answer that question for you. But if nobody asked that question for you, you got on a conference call. That's only a once-a-month conference call that you qualified for. And on this conference call, you didn't ask any questions. You should be greedy with questions. You don't get on a conference call like this and everybody else asks the questions. This is where you become greedy. Let somebody else stop you and say, that's enough questions for you. You don't get on a conference call and let somebody else control it. You control the point of contact. You ask the right questions. The people that ask the questions are either the fastest growing earners in the company or they're the top leaders. And the leaders that didn't, they had a one spike or two spike. And then afterwards, we're going to see how these people are going to respond to it. But the purpose is... I know who you are based on the questions you ask me. If we sit around each other, you're not asking questions. I mean, what are we doing here? Everything's about asking questions, right? We did a video a couple weeks ago. What was it? Wasn't it like everybody is one question away from changing their lives? Francis Bacon, research without being told how to research. I like people who are so curious that they go research. How do we do this digital marketing stuff? I spent two days researching. And I want to know about it. And you know, how do we put an event together? I have no idea. Let me go research for three days. And I research and I gather info and I come back with a two-pager. Look what I got, Pat. We just got off a conference call right now with a guy from Netherlands who called in. He's a value tender. He's watching it right now. His name is Michael. Michael, if you're watching it, we literally got off the phone with you 50 minutes ago. Michael's like, Pat, let me tell you, man, I can't believe I'm on the phone with you. Michael sent a multi-multi-page uh, a report to Mario about what to do for the vault conference to be better or to be incredible. I've never met Michael. Michael's a value tainer. We never asked for this. We never said, hey, Michael, send us ideas. Michael took the initiative and he sent it. Now, I don't know what his research is based on, but he sent it. I tell you, I don't know any billionaire that's not good at researching stuff. They get the answer to the question they want. All the billionaires I know, they ask tough questions and they find the answers. It's such a common trait for them. So people I lock onto, leaders, are people that ask the right questions and are constantly curious. Number seven, upbringing. Upbringing, there's a reason why you hear me in interviews 
I ask one question. I say, who were you in high school? This is a question I've been asking for 20 years. Let me tell you why. In high school, I know who I was in high school. And I know when I ask somebody else who they were in high school, I kind of learn about them. Who were you in high school? And it tells me a lot. So if I find out somebody is an athlete, well, I know they had to tell me about your coach. Did you like your coach? Well, he was very tough on me. Okay, how did you like that, the fact that he was tough on you? I didn't mind it. So did you ever have a problem with your coach? Yes, why? Because of this. I mean, I'm already learning. Tell me, tell me how, who were you in high school? I was a 4.7 GPA valedictorian. Okay, this person follows instructions probably well, right? Because they're coachable. So I'm learning about them. But the upbringing will tell me a lot of different things that I can figure out what is probably going to be happening again. If somebody says, I had a coach, he was so tough on me. And because he was so tough on me, every time he was tough on me, like I had a conversation with somebody three months ago, and she told me, she says, I had a soccer coach, this person was so tough on me, and when they would t- be tough on me, they would shut down. I'm like, okay, so it's a little bit more of being on, walking on eggshells, because if you challenge this person a little too much, you're gonna get shut down, so you have to be very careful how you're speaking with this person. Maybe I'm not necessarily gonna get the best out of this person here, because if you are challenging to do something big, they're not necessarily gonna init- uh, take initiative. They're gonna wait, because they're more responders, right? But those conversations tell you a lot about who you're working with. Number eight, being able to take criticism. This is a very tough thing uh, for a lot of people. Uh, it, you know, sometimes you give feedback and it depends what department. Some departments you ought to be very careful you're giving criticism with because maybe they're in the creative uh, department, right? But some departments, they're more different. It's a different role. It's a different responsibility. It's a different job. It's a different type of thing they're doing. Whatever it is, if I'm developing somebody to be a leader amongst the group or to be a face or to be somebody that I'm going to get them to maybe be an equity owner with the company or a position that's going to be an elite position with a lot of upside, a lot of income, a lot of future potential profit sharing, whatever it may be, I am looking at if this person can take criticism from me when I'm giving them direction. If they can, this means every time we have a hiccup, it's not going to go back down because they shut down. We have a hiccup, feedback given, and then boom. We have a hiccup, feedback given, and then boom. We have a hiccup, feedback given, and then boom, right? And if they're willing to take it, they're probably also going to give it. Let me explain. Hey, Pat, you know what I was thinking about the other day was that? I don't know if the system we have here is the, mo- is the most efficient system. Tell me why. See, I was thinking the other day, you know the way we do it right now when we have the products that come in and we sell an insurance policy or when we do this? And what if we change this step from here to here? I love that. And the reason why you're giving us criticism, I'm the CEO. If you're giving criticism, I'm the guy at the top. That means that's coming to me. Perfect. This is a leader. I can give you criticism, but you're also giving constructive criticism back. And there's a magic on how you do it. But both ways, those that take it also give positive back. I'm not talking complaining. I'm talking about something that's going to help the company grow faster and become bigger and more efficient. Number nine is taking direction, being coachable. Listen, uh, we announced a bonus a couple weeks ago. It's a $1 million bonus, a $3 million bonus, and a $6 million cash bonus. Do you know who are the people that are on track to getting the highest bonus, the $6 million cash bonus? It's the most coachable executives in the company. Why is that? Coachability from a proven mentor speeds growth. If you're not being coachable and you question everything, you're not, you know, speed, increasing speed. Tex Winner, who was a coach that came up with the triangle offense that Phil Jackson took, and he won six championships with Chicago Bulls and five with the Lakers. One time they asked Tex, they said, Tex, who is the one player that knows the game the most? 
He says, oh my gosh, there's one player I coach, he knew everything about the game. He says, what's the guy's name? Jordan Farmar. Jordan Farmar? He says, yes. He knew so much about basketball, you couldn't teach this guy anything. Everything we ever told him, he said he knows it and he did it his own way. Guess what happened to Jordan Farmar? Guy came out, was supposed to be a star, ended up playing in China, Puerto Rico, all over the place because he couldn't make it in NBA because no coach wanted a guy like that on his team because he questions every single thing. So he had to leave. On somebody the coach, the CEO, the executive wants to lock onto, you need somebody to be able to take direction very well. Increase his speed tenfold. Number 10, character. Everything I said sounds good. But if the last one's not in place, nothing matters. And by the way, character isn't just you going to church on Sunday and I read the Bible, I have character. I go to service, you know, whether I'm, you know, whatever I do, synagogue, you know, anywhere I go, I'm, I'm, I'm so much of a character person. I'm looking for way more than character. Character to me is your health, how you take care of your body. Character to me is your discipline with your finances. Character to me is how you treat people around you. Character to me is you keeping your word. Character to me is knowing when you say you're going to do something, you come through with it. Character to me is you being able to be trusted with secret information that nobody else needs to know about. You may be the smartest person in the world, but if I give you data that I don't want you to tell anybody, I don't even want you to tell your wife about it or your husband about it. Nothing. This is secret information here. Nothing. That's part of character. That itself is also part of character. When I find somebody who has that, and they have these qualities, we can take over the world together. Very simple. And by the way, if I, if I wish I could have video to show you how many times I've screwed up in this area. How many times? Lost money, lost time, business partners, so many different mistakes. So many of them because I didn't fully look at these kinds of formula. I never looked up and said, what are the 10 traits, Patrick, you look for when working with people? Once we looked at this, I brought it in, it increased the probability of the results I got with the individual because my intuition on who I worked with became better and better and better. This is something you can get better at when you look at it. These are my 10, these 10 don't have to be your 10. You can create your own 10 to be working with, but these are mine. Thanks everybody for listening, and by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five star, write a review if you haven't already, and if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube, just search my name, Patrick Bid David, and I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.